Welcome to Alaskwatch, the show all about Bigfoot in the great state of Alaska. I'm your host, Beans Baxter. So lace up your boots, zip up your coat, and come with me on an adventure as we explore all things cryptid in the last frontier. Hey everybody, thanks for tuning in to Alaska Watch. Um, I have got a special treat for you today, uh, but first I want to be sure and mention, head on over to the Alaska Watch Facebook page and check out the trailer for Extreme Expeditions Northwest's new documentary, Bigfoot Encounters in the Pacific Northwest. Uh, it's a film that chronicles our expedition last year into Stevens County, Washington, uh, I think it's going to be something really special. I'm really proud of it. <clears throat> I think you guys are really going to like it. So uh, give that a, a click and a watch when you get a chance. Also, today I have a special treat in that I interviewed Mr. David Weatherly. He's the author of uh, several books, but the one that we discussed specifically today is his newest release, Monsters of the Last Frontier, Cryptids and Leg- Legends of Alaska. Uh, I think it's... Uh, if you're listening to Alaska Watch, I think it's something you'll really be interested in. It's all about Alaska cryptids. Uh, there's Kushtakas, Thunderbirds, uh, Bigfoot, uh, any anything you can think of. All kinds of Alaskan legends and lore, and uh, it's just a it's a great book. And uh, well, let's get into the interview. So just uh, check it out, listen all the way to the end, and uh, he'll he will tell you how to get a hold of the book uh, and uh, read it for yourself. So without further ado, uh, let's get into it. All right, so here we are with author and researcher David Weatherly, the author of Cryptid Legends of Alaska, and uh, we're going to talk a little bit about his book. How are you doing, David? Hey, Larry. How are you doing today? Uh, living the dream. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, so, you know, the book is all about Alaska cryptids. Uh, you know, what made you decide to write a book about Alaska cryptids? Oh, there's a few reasons. One, uh, nobody's done it. <laughs> uh, two, last year I started uh, a ser- what, what has turned into a series uh, of examining cryptids in specific states. So, uh, so far, a book on Arizona came out, and then a book on Nevada, and the third one that you have in your hands, I believe, is Monsters of the Last Frontier, Cryptids and Legends of Alaska. And it's strictly on all the, the various cryptids in in that state. Excellent. And I'm I'm not quite through the book yet, but I'm almost done with it. And so far, I'm really enjoying it. Um, the cover is just amazing. That's one of the coolest uh, interpretations of a kushtaka I've ever seen. Uh, I believe, oh, yeah. I, I always throw in a plug for this guy. That that artist is Sam Sheeran, and he's done a lot of covers for me uh, over the years. Uh, and we. We kind of came up with this concept together. Uh, you know, I, I, uh, the first one that came out was Silver State Monsters, all about Nevada. And I, I told him, I said, yeah, that's what I want on the cover. I said, but hey, if you can, you know, hide a couple of the other cryptids or something on the back of the book. So he did this full wraparound cover. Uh, and he's done it for all three of the states so far. And there's, there's more coming this year. Uh, but when he did, uh, when, when we came up with this one, I told him, I said, look, I want to, I want a Kushtaka, a land otter man on the front, you know. <laughs> and, uh, I, I thought it was a real challenge because, you know, if anybody knows anything about this cryptid, we're talking about 
basically a giant bipedal otter. And that's a tough thing to depict and not make it look, you know, goofy or something. Uh, but he just, he came out with this incredible piece of artwork. And, uh, you know, anybody that takes a look at the cover will see, see that he really did it justice. Yeah, I'm, I'm really impressed with it because, I mean, you've got the Kushtaka and some large, possibly Thunderbirds here on the front. And then if you turn it over, you know, you've got uh, a, a sea monster or lake monster. You've got a Bigfoot footprint. I mean, it's just, it's a wraparound cover and it's just stunning. Yeah, and uh, there's also a lot of great illustrations in the book, too, um, as well as some pictures. Uh, you know, Alaska, you can't have Alaska without some scenery, right? That's right, and, you know, typically what I'm doing with this, the idea behind this series is to kind of capture the essence of those old-fashioned, you know, bestiaries, uh, they used to call them, or the, or the you know, really old-style uh, cryptid, cryptozoology book that covers the, the stories and the facts that we have, but also incorporates some of the, the legends and the folklore because I think that's a very important component uh, when we're examining these things, you know, to go back to the native legends and the folklore of the region and things like that and, and really dig in uh, to, to see how it connects with what's going on in modern day. And as a result, what, what I've been doing with the series is, of course, incorporating photographs from my travels to the area but also uh, my graphics guy comes up with these you know, really uh, vintage illustrations of different monsters and, and things that he incorporates in. So it's, I, I'm really happy with how the series has been coming out. Yes, I haven't checked any of those out. I have read some of the Woodnock uh, books that you've uh, put together, but uh, mm -hmm. I haven't checked out any of the, the other states there. And, you know, writing about these states, is there anything? was there anything particularly unique uniquely challenging about writing about Alaska? Oh, sure. Se several things, actually. Uh, first of all, you know, when I, I did, the first two I did, Arizona and Nevada, it was pretty easy to basically cover everything pretty thoroughly. I, Nevada, I think, probably has, I don't want to say it has absolutely every sighting, but it, it really has, you know, most of the, uh, the sightings that have happened over, you know, through history in that state that, that we're aware of. But when it came to Alaska, and there are so many sightings, for instance, of Sasquatch, I mean, there's no way. You'd have to have several volumes just to cover those sightings. So what I had to do was really try to give a good overview of Bigfoot encounters in the state of Alaska. And, of course, I, I plucked out a few specific regions that I looked at uh, in particular, but then also try to give a good, you know, good basic coverage of the the nature of what the encounters are like there in the state. Because you know, every place is unique. Uh, the other challenge, of course, was uh, I typically, as I stated earlier, really like to dig into folklore, um, Native American legends of the region, because I I think it's important to address those. And a lot of researchers, sadly, over the years, have ignored those. Uh, aspects and just said, oh, that's just, it's just folklore, it's just superstition, or it's just, you know, mythology. And that really is not always the case. Uh, you know, they have, uh, Native tribes have a different worldview, and a lot of these things they're talking about 
they talk about in a spiritual sense, but they're also talking about their physical reality and things that their people have experienced. So I I feel it's very important to address that aspect. I always try to do so with the, uh, the utmost respect when I'm doing that. Uh, Alaska was interesting because, you know, the state recognizes, uh, quote, 227 separate tribes. Uh, So we're talking about a lot of unique perspectives. Now, obviously, there's a lot of interrelation, you know, connectedness between those tribes. But, you know, even taking a percentage of that, we're talking about a lot of fascinating material. So I tried to bring some of that into the book, too. Yeah, and I noticed, you know, you mentioned in the book, uh, which is something I've ran into quite a bit in my own research is, uh, you know, the natives can be pretty tight-lipped about these things. They don't really enjoy talking about them, especially with outsiders. Absolutely, absolutely. I, I've been very blessed over the years. You know, I've been doing this stuff since the 1970s. And when I was young, I became very interested uh, not just in <clears throat> supernatural, you know, uh, weird topics, but also in shamanism and different magical traditions and uh you know as a result over the years i've studied a lot of with a lot of different elders from around the world not just native cultures and you know i'm well aware that there are certain ways you have to approach these things and and talk to uh people because you are an outsider you know when you're going in and and trying to discuss these things Uh, but you know at the same time people are people and if they understand that you're being respectful and and if you approach it correctly uh you know that alone can open some doors and you know one of the things that you run into with some of these topics and this is this is really all over the world for traditional cultures is that there are certain things that are taboo for them to talk about so you, know, you have to understand that it might not be just because you're an outsider it might be because you know they can't talk about that you know except under certain circumstances but interesting enough you know times are changing these topics are are so much a part of mass media and everything else now that it is slowly helping a lot of these people open up and you know take a different approach on their own. And you know what I what I really hope to see in the future is more native people who are delving into these topics and discussing them and, and publishing material. I I'd love to see I'd love nothing more than to see some you know a native elder publish a, a book about some of these things to you know to share their knowledge. Yeah, it's uh, it's really fascinating to get their take on things and to, to hear their stories. Um, last year at the Sasquatch Roundup, um, a member of the Coville tribe came and spoke, and uh, his presentation was, was incredible. You know, he was telling uh, stories that had probably never been told outside the reservation, and it was actually pretty something. Uh, it was something that was pretty special. So, oh, that's yeah, yeah. That's, that's nice. That, you know, one of the things <clears throat> that has caused a lot of reluctance. Uh, among different tribal peoples is that you have to understand for decades they were kind of laughed at for these stories. <laughs> you know, so over time that led to, you know, I, I'm not going to share this with the crazy white guys. They're just going to laugh at me or think it's, you know, nonsense or superstition or something. So, uh, again, I think that's one of the one of the actual benefits from this stuff becoming more part of, of popular culture is that it's leading to some openness. Yeah, and it's 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 interesting to see how the stigma of the subject it just doesn't affect witnesses, but it affects like an entire culture. Absolutely. Yeah. 
Yeah. So that you know that being said, uh, what was your favorite Alaska cryptid to research for the book? Oh man, that's tough to nail down. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> I'm, I'm actually gonna fudge that answer and give you two. So the the first one I, I think would, would probably be the, the Kushtaka, and there's different ways to pronounce that. Even it's it's a really tricky topic to delve into. Uh, anybody that's a little bit familiar with it will know that uh, we're into a, a, a cryptid that does have a lot of the spiritual components I referred to a, a few minutes ago. Uh, it roughly translates as land otter man. It's what's on the cover of the book. And it's exactly what it sounds like, a giant bipedal otter. Now, when you start delving into these stories, uh, over the years, one thing that's happened is a lot of Sasquatch researchers have become convinced that uh, stories of this creature are just stories of Paragon, Bigfoot. Right. And in my experience, talking to various uh, tribal members and, and elders, they're very insistent that it is not. Now, to further support that, when you go to these uh, various tribes that talk about these various regions where the, the tribes talk about the Pristaka, you'll find that they have other terms for Bigfoot. And it is a very distinct, separate thing. So, you know, we, we can easily, obviously, spend several hours talking about this topic, but in, in essence, we're talking about a creature that is a, a shapeshifter, and a lot of the stories... Uh, they were once humans that are transformed into these land otter people, and that's where we get into the spiritual components of their shamanic mixture of uh, this idea that someone can go to another world, so to speak, that they can uh, you know, transform into something that is not quite human. And there are different modern interpretations of that that get very interesting and, and sort of spiritual slash psychological and, and we won't delve into all that but uh, just on a, a base level it's a pretty fascinating set of stories that go with this creature the other thing that really intrigued me a lot when I delved into uh, Alaskan lore was this idea of surviving woolly mammoths and I, I think that's one of the things that uh, intrigues me because I, you know not all cryptids are completely unknown undiscovered animals the most famous example of that would be the phylocene in, in Australia, which also really fascinates me. It's an animal that's documented. There's, there's uh, photographs, there's, there's video footage of it up until the 1930s when it went extinct. And, you know, ever since that time, more and more there are constantly reports and purported sightings of this creature. So it's that idea that something could survive, you know, even against the odds and against the appearance uh, of what science says. And in Alaska, we had this idea of these surviving woolly mammoths. Now, when you really delve into it, you know, you find out that, no, you know, there's not, we're not saying there's a herd of mammoths running around the tundra right now. Uh, but... What's intriguing is, is that you, you find that there are some uh, interesting anecdotes and, and stories about mammoths surviving perhaps much later than is commonly accepted. And, you know, even stories that date into the 1800s, not just in Alaska, but uh, in Siberia and some other colder regions, uh, again, 
some of this is native tales uh, talking about uh, hunting these creatures, you know, in, in their recent history. So we get this possibility, this intriguing possibility that maybe, maybe these creatures survived much later than common history says. Yeah, I agree with that. I think Alaska was probably one of the last uh, strongholds, if you will, for the mammoth. And it wouldn't surprise me if there was some running around as as early or as recent as the last couple of hundred years. Absolutely. Yeah, that's, that's, that's pretty much where I stand on it, too. And I think it's just very fascinating. It would be really cool to imagine that there are still some out there somewhere. But uh, I think the odds are pretty slim on that, unfortunately. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, but I mean, you never know. Alaska's so massive, and it's not you like never we've know. yeah, it's not <laughs> like we've taken a magnifying glass and looked at the whole state. So there's could, I, I'm certain there are species here. You know, more mundane species. I think there were some squirrels or something that was discovered just here in the last few years living up here that nobody uh, a new species of squirrel. And right. I'm, I'm convinced there's more species of mammals that were not, you know, probably different kinds of wolves and stuff like that that were not. Uh, familiar with that are running around up here well and you know it's intriguing too because uh one of the things that i tell people you know uh, when they ask me about the, these different alaskan cryptids and everything and I, I say look you know go online and google and, and put the state of alaska you know the outline of it over top of the lower 48 and and look at how much space it covers. Uh, people, people who haven't been to Alaska or haven't really looked into it don't realize how massive the state is. And, you know, especially when you incorporate all the islands and everything else, I mean, we're talking about a massive amount of territory with a very small number of, of humans. And there's this common misconception in the United States, and actually it's probably worldwide, but there's this common misconception that, you know, humans have, have been everywhere and checked out everything, you know, so there, you hear this all the time from skeptics, you know, that, oh, well, you know, it couldn't be a, a Sasquatch out there because, you know, it would be seen every day and it would be, you know, we would know. And that always kind of cracks me up. I, I typically use as an example, uh, the state of Utah. I tell people, look at the map of Utah and look at the, the two main interstates that go through the state. They they uh, form more or less a cross in the state. And I should then understand that the bulk of the population of that state lives along the corridor of those two interstates. Now, there are some rural areas. There are the towns that are off the beaten track and so forth. But, you know, when you start breaking that down, you're talking about vast amounts of territory where there's not a human walking across it every day because, you know, there's there's no Starbucks or, or you know, whatever that they're, they're doing their daily trek to. So there's so much vast territory in this country that is unexplored that absolutely there's room and space for these creatures to exist. Yeah, and I tell people all the time, you know, even here on the Kenai Peninsula, there are places where you could get dropped off and walk for the rest of your life and, and never f- see another person. Um, exactly. Yeah. And exactly. It, people and, have, I mean, that, and that's not even the most remote. I mean, my gosh, you go up into the northern portions of the state, and it's even more remote. Yeah. The Kenai Peninsula is not even really that big. I think it's only like 120 miles long or something. Uh, right. But there are some very, very remote places here, and uh, you could you could easily uh, walk for the rest of your life before you found civilization <laughs> again. Yeah. Yeah. 
But uh, anyway, because it's Alaskots, we got to talk about Bigfoot, man. So what what is your theory on Bigfoot? What do you think it is? So, you know, anybody who delves into this topic, of course, you find out, uh, even starting out, you find out very quickly that there's a couple different camps. And, and a lot of people think that it's basically just an undiscovered ape, North American ape. Uh, there's, there's sort of subsets. You know, some people think, oh, it's related to Gigantopithecus. And then you have the other chant that uh, <laughs> goes in a very different direction and says, no, it's, you know, they were, they're, they're supernatural creatures. They're, you know, get kind of the, shall we say, very interesting theories. They would drop off some UFOs or they're, you know, they're psychic and all these different things. And, you know, my, my take on it, I guess a lot of my influence is, is from dealing with uh, various, Native American people over the years uh, who do view the creature as a very physical, tangible um, being, but they they also say that it has some unique qualities. And, you know, my take on it is that it's, it's a physical, tangible creature, but that it has abilities we just don't understand yet. Now, you know, you go out there a little bit and say, well, it has, has some things that could sort of classify as paranormal, and that usually gets the traditional cryptozoologists really antsy and worked up. Uh, but my, uh, my point is, is that I tell people to view it this way. Look, imagine the first person that ever saw a chameleon. They're, they're looking at a lizard, you know, it's just laying on a, a branch or a tree or something, and, and one minute it's there, it's this, you know, bright green animal, and the next minute it seems to fade away. Well, obviously we scientifically understand what chameleons can do now, that they can blend into to their surroundings and, and they can, you know, there are things uh, about their makeup that allow them to do that. So, you know, I, I believe that Sasquatch are physical, tangible creatures, but they have something, and whether it's akin to that or whether it's something else, it's something that allows them to appear to be somewhat supernatural. It's, it's just, uh, you know, what's the, what's the old adage that magic is just science we don't understand yet? Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, there's there's so many, I have spoken to so many people who have, have seen a Sasquatch and something weird happens, you know, it, it, it seems to vanish or it just, you know, oh, it was running and it was just gone. Uh, it, it, it ducked behind a tree. It never came back out. Okay, well, you know, I think we're looking at some something that this creature is able to do that we just don't quite comprehend yet. Now, whether it's some kind of chameleon-like ability, you know, it could be something. It could be something akin to infrasound because I've heard a lot of people who've had experiences that sound like they're being affected by infrasound uh, when they've encountered these creatures. And, you know, maybe what they're able to do is interfere with the, the human um, consciousness or, or brain or vision or something that allows them to seem to disappear, you know, just uh, causes a glitch in our perception somehow. So that's sort of my take on it. Yeah. Well, you're, you're, it reminds me, um, one of the first times I ever went deer hunting when I was uh, a, a young man in Kentucky, uh, I had a deer, you know, running across the field in front of me and it went, there was a tree, you know, in between me and the deer and it, uh, I lost sight of it as it ran 
behind the tree and it never came out on the other side. <laughs> and right. I still think about that to this day. Where did that damn deer go? And uh, it was just a deer, you know? Yeah, and then, and you know it, it's interesting too because, uh, of course, now I know you're in law enforcement, and you know obviously law enforcement officers are, are trained observers. The average person really isn't a trained observer. Uh, you know that's uh, that's something that comes up. You know that you can ask people, uh, a crowd of people, what they saw when an incident occurs, and, and they all saw slightly different things often because uh, I, I think. I think the human level of perception actually has declined with the advent of cell phones. And, you know, there's there's always the old joke of teenagers, you know, being glued to their cell phones, but it's adults now, too. And there's so many things that people just miss. So when you consider that, and then when you add in people who have these sightings who really aren't used to, to seeing anything like this, you know, there's, there's the shock level and there's the, you know, the whole... WTF, you know, uh, you know, they're trying to comprehend what this is they're seeing that that could cause some issues with their perception too. I agree. I think a lot of sightings are missed. I think these things get closer to people than they realize, but I think people just don't see them because they don't look up. They're not, you know, when you're walking through the woods, especially rough terrain, you're looking at the ground and you're kind of looking at your eye level, you never look above that really, unless you're bird watching or squirrel hunting or something, you never really look up that much. And That's right. I think, I think a lot of, I think a lot of times these things are, are a lot closer than people realize and they just miss them. I'm sure I've probably, you know, missed a few, <laughs> you know, uh, trudging through the woods, looking at my feet, trying to make sure I don't trip. And, you know, uh, sure. I, I'm, I'm without a doubt. I think these things, um, just get overlooked a lot of times, you know, and a lot of the sightings you hear of, they're from a distance, you know, the people see them because they're far enough away, you know, they see the entire thing. And, uh, you know, when you're closer and you're, if you're not looking up at that nine, 10 feet level, you're not going to really notice it. You're just going to, you know, probably think it's the trunk of a tree or something. That's right. Yeah. And, you know, saying that you believe there's a physical aspect to Bigfoot, how do you think that he survives in harsh winter conditions like Alaska has? Well, you know, there are so many creatures that do survive that environment. I think they've just adapted to it. Obviously, humans survive it, but they're inside, you know, they're whipped over whatever going. But then, on the other hand, we've got, uh, you know, bears all over Alaska. We have other other mammals that do survive it. And I think that these creatures have, have simply adapted to the conditions and understand how to survive in those particular uh, climates, you know, just like they survive in other areas. And actually, Alaska is probably pretty easy for them in many regards because there are so many natural resources. I mean, water certainly isn't a problem. Uh, there's, there's, you know, an abundance of game and everything else. So, I think it's actually fairly simple for them to survive. And more than likely, they're intelligent enough to have, you know, come up with some kind of way to um, stay warm, whether they've created dens or some kind of nesting sites or whatever they've done. I'm sure that they've figured that out because there's a long, long history of sightings in Alaska, that's for sure. Yeah, I agree. I think they're just, um, they can just handle it. I mean, moose and bear do, uh, so That's right. know, why not, uh, why not one, why, why not one more animal? <laughs> um, right. And they are hair covered. So yeah, you know, they have yeah. something akin to, to fur or hair that 
helps with their uh, keep their body heat in. So yeah, yeah, absolutely. I I do kind of have my own little theory that they have maybe a. Um, maybe a thicker muscle structure than we do. I think that would almost like a natural Kevlar weave. I think that would explain a lot of the accounts of them getting shot and just seeming to, you know, shake it off and keep going. That would make a lot of sense. Yeah. And it would probably also insulate them a little bit better too from the cold. Um, is there a particular Bigfoot story that uh, is your favorite or Alaska Bigfoot story? Well, you know, there's, there's the, the Port Chatham uh, slash Port Lock story that we, spoken a little about in private uh, and we can we can address that some there are some other really cool accounts i i personally find the sightings around lake iliamna pretty fascinating uh, you know first of all lake iliamna of course is uh, the spot of alaska's most famous water monster and you know on top of that there are all these hairy man sightings that have occurred around around the lake itself and there's a really fascinating account that uh it, it's it sounds bad. It's almost stereotypical Alaskan. I, I think, you know, that rugged outdoors type of thing, you know, uh, take take no crap attitude, I guess. But there was a guy, his uh, name was Coffee, outside of uh, Lake Ilianga, around the lake, who was driving and saw one of these creatures uh, crossing the road. His reaction was to jump out with a three fifty seven Magnum and take a shot at it. <laughs> and it's like, okay. <laughs> There's, there's kind of Alaska through and through, you know, and, and uh, it, it was, um, but it was an interesting story because, you know, they later found uh, some physical evidence uh, around the area. They thought, you know, of course, there's a common assumptions at the time. Oh, you know, was he drinking, or you know, what, you know, what's this? Uh, you know, they were probably calling him. You know, what, what's this? Uh, Yahoo out there, you know, just shooting at, you know, a bear or something. But uh, no, they, they found a set of tracks and they found that it was a very difficult area for a human to navigate. And, you know, some other interesting things that came up around the time. And there were other sightings around the lake during the same period of people reporting this hairy man. And again, that's one of those things that goes pretty far back in traditional lore of the region that. Oh yeah, there's there's a Bigfoot or you know a hairy man uh, that lives around Lake Iliamna, and you know that makes a lot of sense because again, there's the resources. You know, there's fresh water, there's uh, you know an, an abundance of fish and other game around the water. It's, it's like the old adage that you know the wildlife gravitates towards the fresh water, and you know if it's a predator, uh, they're going to gravitate both for the water and for the the game that they can hunt. So it makes a lot of sense to me that it would be a hot spot for science. Yeah, I, I want to get over there one of these days and check it out. It's technically not too far away from me. It's just getting access to get over there. That's the hard part. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Mr. Coffee is also one of the, uh, his account is one of the few that I've ever heard uh, Bigfoot described as having a pot belly. Right. And, and that's kind of funny. I almost heard something a few months ago when you were talking about the muscular structure because it's interesting, you know, a lot of mammals, you know, like bears and, and so forth, have extra fat they put on during the winter season. But you, how often do you hear reports of a fat big, Bigfoot? <laughs> you really pretty much don't. I mean, they're always described as, as basically being, you know, it's, you know, very muscular, uh, you know, large, of course. Uh, but you just don't hear, you know, yeah, it looked like a really obese Bigfoot, you know, walking by. So, 
I don't know. The, the pot belly thing is, is kind of weird. Now, there's also, of course, the potential that it was a female that was pregnant. Oh, that's true. I didn't consider that. Yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah. Yeah, I, I was thinking maybe uh, that might be our best chance to, to, to get one is to find a fat one. <laughs> <laughs> so, David, um, if you think that Bigfoot's ever proven real, I, I think probably it's going to take a body um, to do that. But uh, if you ever think finally, you know, the government or and science acknowledges that it's real and that it's out there, you know, what do you think that kind of disclosure or discovery would do to the tourism industries in places like, you know, Washington and Montana and Alaska, places, you know, that are, are very heavily wilderness tourist areas? Wow. You know, it, it, it's going to be interesting, <laughs> that's for sure. I, I think that's kind of a wild card uh, in terms of the tourism, but I do think uh, that sadly what you'll have happen is that once it's proven real, which, you know, it's going to happen at some point, uh, whether it be in, in our lifetime or, or not, I'm not sure. But once it is proven real, I think one thing that'll happen is a rush of scientific organizations and, and you know, hunters and everything else who are going to flood in looking for a specimen. Uh, and that's, that's kind of the sad reality of how people are going to react because uh, if it is proven via a, a kill, then where is that body going? You know, some institution is going to get a hold of it. And when that happens, other scientific institutions and organizations around the world are going to be doing everything they can to get their own specimen. You know, as well as, you know, looking for a live capture. So it, it could be, it could turn out to be very chaotic unless it is somehow regulated or controlled in fairly short order. And then there's the whole question that people have about this creature's level of intelligence. And that gets into kind of a fascinating area because, you know, there's there's a lot of hunters who claim to have had these things in their sights and couldn't shoot it because it looked too human. So, you know, we really don't know for a fact where this thing falls on the evolutionary scale. And that's going to dictate a lot of how it's dealt with going forward. That's true. So who would who would be its advocate? Would it be PETA or would it be the um, uh, what do you? Oh, who are the the world, the human rights people? Um, you know who I'm talking about. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Would it, would it be PETA or would it be somebody else? <laughs> Gosh, I, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I, I really don't know. All right. Well, David, tell us where people can, can pick up this uh, amazing tome you've written. So, of course, it's on Amazon, and you can also catch the link to it at my website, which is erielights.com. And that is E-E-R-I-E-L-I-G-H-T-S dot com. You'll also find uh, links to my other books, various interviews and projects I've involved I'm involved with uh, upcoming appearances, articles, and, and a whole massive other things. There's also an Eerie Lights Facebook page you can follow and an Instagram profile as well. All right, David. Well, thanks so much for coming on, man. I had a great time talking to you, and uh, we'll have to have you on again sometime. Definitely, Larry. Anytime. It was a pleasure. Yeah, and uh, next time you get up here, man, uh, we'll have to get together. I can uh, take you out and show you some places, and maybe we can get over to Port Chatham. 
Oh, man, we'll do it. All right. Sounds good. All right. Bye-bye. And a very big thank you to David for coming on the show. I really appreciated it. I had a great time talking to you both on and off the air. And um, for the rest of you, you can find me on the Alaska Watch Facebook page. You can find us on the Alaska Watch Twitter. And you can email us at alaskawatch at gmail.com. I hope you guys enjoyed the show. I hope you guys enjoyed the interview. And uh, I'll be back soon with uh, some more Alaska Watchy goodness. Mm-hmm.